Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Work it, make it, do it. Makes us harder, better, faster, stronger. That 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 don't kill me can only make me stronger i need you to hurry up now cuz i can't wait much longer okay well if that does not make your skin crawl. I don't know what <laughs> in I the say, show could. I dipped out before that scene happened. Okay, I only, it's season two. <laughs> it's, well, I guess I was only a season one watcher of girls, but I heard all about it and how uncomfortable it was. So that was actually my first time hearing it. And, oh my know, God. and I can agree that that was pretty uncomfortable. You need to watch the video of it because everyone, the reactions of the crowd, do you know the context of that clip? She's trying to win back Charlie, right? Yeah. She like crashes his like company party and performs it for him in front of all of these strangers. It is, it. I mean, watching this pilot was cringy but that that scene in itself just made like absolutely makes me feel sick to my stomach and even watching that was hard I remember when we were at bustle and we had a significant other crash a holiday party and that felt cringy enough like somebody even just being there who wasn't supposed to be there if he had stepped up and began singing Kanye which I actually wouldn't have put it past him to do that and that would have been so much worse well, okay, before we get too far into like things that make us feel icky, um, we should start from the very beginning. Um, hello, everyone, and welcome to TV Watch Repeat, a podcast brought to you by The Dip. We are two TV lovers who are set to revisit some of the most iconic, memorable, and cringeworthy TV pilots of all time. I'm Allison, and I am joined by The Dip co-founder and CEO, Kate. Hi, Kate. Hello. And if you didn't gather from that chilling rendition of Stronger by Allison Williams, we are talking about the 2012 pilot of Girls. Uh, it's currently streaming on HBO. And before we dive in, we should probably shout out some sources that we will reference throughout the episode. Yes. So I looked at articles in the New York Times, Cable's new pack of girls trying on the woman thing from 2012. From 2013, a chat between Judd Apatow and Lena Dunham in Fast Company. 
A New York Mag article from 2012 called It's Different for Girls. And in 2017, a complete timeline of all the controversies girls started from culture. <laughs> and I had a lot of those too. And I do want to shout out the Hollywood Reporter who also shared the memo um, mm-hmm. that Lena Dunham wrote as like pitching the show, which and, we'll talk about and Judd Apatow's response. Yes. I have the screenshots and I just have the whole article pulled up because it's, it is incredible. Um, but yeah, girls. Wow. I mean, so you dipped out after season one, which is arguably its best season. So, right. And you know what? Like, I, I, I don't know that I loved it when I watched it back in the day. I feel like rewatching it now, I had a newfound respect for it that I did not anticipate finding that I would have. Um, I do think that it was one of those shows that if you do not consider yourself a Hannah Horvath when it came out, you would watch it and kind of feel like this is putting on a bad light for people mm-hmm. that are my age. And I don't really necessarily love that. This is the, the, uh, this entitledness is the thing that people are seeing. And I'm not going to say that like girls, you know, kickstarted the whole thought process of, you know, millennials being entitled, but I'm not, not going to say that either. I think that, you know, Hannah and Marnie and all these people, like they definitely had this sort of like, um, these personalities that everybody sort of associates with millennials. That said, looking back, I actually think it's a great parody of what millennials were like during that time. Yeah, but it was not meant to be a parody. I, um, I guess when I watched the show and I really liked it, and I think the reason is, is 2012, I was still in college, but I dreamt of, you know, I, I interned in New York. I wanted, I wanted to be in New York and to see young 20 something women living in New York, even if it wasn't the glamorous sex in the city life, which is certainly like the, this is like the Brooklyn parody, like the, the Brooklyn version of, you know, the 20 tens sex in the city. Uh, I wanted it so badly that for me, I think I just like automatically kind of like, uh, what's that thing called when you, you see it and you just love it automatic imprinted on it. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and then as I like got older and I did move to New York and I was a young 20 something living, I was like, Oh God, this is like getting kind of hard to watch. I also think it got too big for itself. I think that it, it, you know, it, it took a turn for sure. And there are certainly moments later on in the series that I love, but the first episode was, was, was what drew me in immediately when I first watched it. And the same thing happened this time around. I, yeah, I, I think agree. it's a really good pilot. And it's, it's just, it's a good representation of like a snapshot in time with a, yeah. t- a certain generation. And, you know, I think that, um, the crazy thing about girls is that it had become, it's become such a hotbed of controversy, even though like not many people watch it, right? It's like four or 5 million people watched every episode and that's pretty small, but it just dominated the pop culture conversation when it was out. And I don't know, there's a lot of things that go into the why that happened, right? It's, it's like, like a media all, show first of all. It's a it's media like, show. Yeah. yeah. It's about, it's also, you know, it's about millennials. It's also features a lot of, you know, realistic bodies. And that was of course something that, you know, became a huge conversation too. But, um, but it still is like most people in your life probably haven't even watched it. And yet Mm. it it has so many headlines around it. Like more people, we were writing more about girls than two and a half men. 
<laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's true. Um, yeah, that's a great point. And I do think like working in media and especially working in women's media for us, it feels it, it, it felt bigger than, you know, like I covered this show for Bustle. Like I was watching this weekly to, to write about it. I don't even, I wonder what I was saying about it because it was certainly like the end of, end of the show. But, um, you know, at the same time, like I could probably text my, my group text and one out of like the five girls in there would have said they've, they watched some of it and then they dipped out after like season two or something, or maybe after Marnie sings stronger. (laughs) I am curious for you because this is, it does have kind of the, the, um, the bones of sex in the city mm-hmm. of there being the four friends, which of the four would you Kate describe yourself as? Um, God, I would say honestly, none of them. Um, though I would, and I, I also agree with second, I'm, I'm none of the sex in the city characters either. I think if I were to skew, I probably am more of a combination between Mar- Marnie and Shoshana, I would say. Okay. I was actually going to say I am the same. I think that I'm like a Shoshana, like that's my sign with a rising Marnie. (laughs) Definitely not Jessa, like as far from Jessa as possible. I am not possibly that cool. Yeah. But I mean, I do think I'm, I am pretty like, I am, I feel Shoshana and I, and I am at the same time, like uh, a little bit like kind of over the top, like Marnie in a different way than Shoshana is. But, um, I think Shoshana's like sex in the city monologue in the pilot is just brilliant. It's so well written. And you're funny because you're definitely like a Carrie with like some Samantha aspects and Charlotte hair. It's like a really good combination. Oh, thank you. I think I'm definitely a Carrie at heart, but like sometimes Sometimes Samantha kind of comes out. And then, I mean, when I'm at school, I definitely try and put on my Miranda hat. Where were you before France? So well delivered. It's so funny. I mean, yeah. Zasha Mamet is just like such a, like, she is so keyed into this character. And the way that she takes Shoshana through the whole series is just incredible because, I mean, she has the most evolution, in my opinion, than any of them. I watched the pilot. I watched a few more episodes, um, just like one after the other. And she just continues to be like such a scene stealer while, you know, you've got like Allison Williams, who is just trying her best. Yeah. But okay, wait, let's go back though. Cause I want to set the stage for like how girls happened and how we got here. So, you know, 2011 was a year that TV started to finally pay attention to, you know, girls we had comedies like new girl which we already covered and two broke girls hit airwaves which we will never cover we will never do two broke girls never say never i'm sorry i can't never but i'll be out that week i think i watched more two broke girls than girls um i hate to say (laughs) but uh it seemed like that we were creating this path on tv for a demographic that had kind of been ignored in the past and the one thing that made them stand apart from you know other treatment of of girls on tv was the honesty that they came to the table with you know sex in the city aside young women had previously mostly been treated with kid gloves on television but these new comedies showed like women could be raunchy and also that could exist on network tv but we're talking about an hbo show so it is particularly raunchy and all this created a really a budding opportunity for a young 23 year old filmmaker an oberlin graduate 
Lena Dunham, who had previously made waves with the premiere of her indie film, Tiny Furniture, which was about a film school graduate that moves back in with her parents, kind of a familiar territory for anyone who had watched Girls. Tiny Furniture really put her on the map. It won the Narrative Feature Prize at South by Southwest, and it caught the attention of some notable names. So she had publishers coming to her saying, we want you to write a YA novel. But then there was a certain executive producer and director who had previously pretty much focused on boys that was really fond of her work. And that was Judd Apatow. So he saw the chance to see this, to bring this auteur's vision to the screen and thought, you know, let's really put her POV on here. And his quote is, it isn't collaborative in the same way as other shows. We are probably closer to curb your enthusiasm than we are to something like Friends. So this was definitively her POV. Mm -hmm. So, but like, what was her POV, right? So, you know, she was inspired (laughs) by female-driven content around her and grew up on Sex in the City, like as we all did, but realized that a certain demographic was being ignored. And that was women who didn't know what the hell to do with their lives once they graduated from college. So it's a whole reason why the show is called Girls, because they're not yet ready to be identified as women. So, you know, she would still focus on sex, obviously. I mean, she has said herself that half the time when I'm talking about some Else, I'm just trying to maneuver into a conversation about sex. But unlike Sex in the City, this wasn't, you know, supposed to be like a glamorous thing. The sex wasn't good. It had to be authentic sex that showcased what it was like to be a young woman on that in that age group that really was not figuring anything out, let alone, you know, not love life, not career life, absolutely nothing. So she put together a pitch. And I I think I would like you to to chat about the pitch. It was a uh, one and a half page pitch. Yeah. I was just going to ask, do you think I should read all of it or should I just read the highlighted part? Um, I don't, I don't want to take up like five minutes to, <laughs> to read this. I would like... say like, you know, start with the first paragraph and then okay. move on to the highlighted part. Cause the first paragraph, you should always come out strong. And I think that this one does not particularly. <laughs> okay. Sex in the city depicted women who had mastered their careers and were now being driven crazy by the tick of their biological clocks. Gossip Girl is about losing your virginity and gaining popularity in a world where no one is old enough to vote or has to worry about making a living. But between adolescence and adulthood is an uncomfortable middle ground when women are ejected from college and into a world where neither glamour nor structure. The resulting period of flux is heartbreaking and hilarious and way too human. It's humbling and it's sexy and it's ripe for laughs. I think it's a really strange thing to like have this dig at like gossip girl about like losing your virginity. Uh, This, I mean, I use dig very loosely. This dig at sex in the city about women who have mastered their careers and were now being driven crazy by their tick of their biological clock because those things all come into play on the show, you know, Mm -hmm. like, and and it, it, it feels kind of just like cheap shots because I'm like, well, then don't touch any of those topics then. And you've gotten the first episode, one of the characters is freaking out because she's still a virgin and she feels like that's her biggest. Well, actually that's not the, the, sorry. Again, you guys, I watched like three episodes. So second episode, spoiler alert, you know, Shoshana freaks out because she's not a virgin and she considers that her biggest, or she is a virgin. She considers that her biggest baggage. So it just feels kind of like a weak entrance in my opinion, Mm -hmm. but it continues. Um, Okay. This is the highlighted part in the Hollywood reporter. They are the Facebook generation, and ironically enough, they are isolated by all of the connectivity available to them and prone to Facebook stalking and drunk IMing and booty calls via Twitter and deciphering text messages like their ancient hieroglyphics and blogging pictures of all the food they eat. 
that hits that is <laughs> <laughs> like sometimes this is actually kind of hard to read they are navigating the transition out of college level codependence on their girlfriends but will still call to announce that they got their period or saw a man masturbating on the subway or saw a man who looks sort of like a kid they went to camp with could it be him and if so is he on facebook they're beautiful and maddening they're self-aware and self-obsessed they're your girlfriends and daughters and sisters and employees they're my friends and i've never seen them on tv now I compare that to the new girl pitch, right? Which I would say, you know, was pretty layered and had a lot more involved in it. And, you know, it's just, it's just interesting to me that this, that this actually was enough to get the show. Now, granted, Judd Apatow was also behind it. So I think yeah. that you yeah. actually need that much in order to, to get, uh, you know, HBO to pick it up. But, uh, but it still kind of felt like it was uh, thrown in, thrown in the towel or a little bit, but I guess that's kind of like Hannah to do. I'm not trying to at all, like diminish Lena Dunham's creative mind, but like, I feel like I could have written this. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's what I I thought when I looked at it, I was like, this is something that I could have written in two hours. Yes. And and I am just like, why haven't I, (laughs) why haven't I just like word vomited five paragraphs about like my friends well because you do have to have friends in high places and I think that that's something that does I met Ron Howard that one time remember you do have a Ron Howard story you should just call Ronnie back do you think HBO is interested in like a a late 20s girls version with Ron Howard attached (laughs) they were Ron Howard narrative voice (laughs) Um, but yeah, but, I mean, so that does set up the show, right? It, like, I, I mean, guess it's, that, and also this is like, sometimes this is ripped from some of the storylines too. Right. Right. But, um, and it kind of, it was so much ripped from her life too. Like so much she wanted to bring from her own life into the script so much that she actually found it to be to her detriment at times. Mm-hmm. Like she said, sometimes yeah. I wonder if I would be happier if I were more in the moment and less trying to translate the moment into a piece of writing or film, mm-hmm. but she also required that from her staff. So the writing staff that she brought on, she wanted to just find oversharers, people that were willing to just share so much about their life and have them read books like The Best of Everything and movies like Clueless as inspiration. That one I thought mm-hmm. was a bit interesting that Clueless was, I mean, I feel like Clueless might be more like a Shoshana inspiration than anything else. Um, and then she created a Bible for each of her characters. So she told Politico that, you know, she created this thing that had all the characters' likes and dislikes. So she said, it's pretty easy at this point to say Hannah would watch an episode of Real Housewives, but wouldn't fuck around with MTV. I think Jessa doesn't know who Miley Cyrus is, but is really into croissants with a French accent. It was really clear to us that both Marnie and Shoshana loved Rent. We just knew that that would be a commonality of theirs. Marnie, in her fantasy, all her dates take place in the Oak Room at the plaza. That's her idea of what she wants. And I think she'd go to Enid's, but be in a bad mood about it. Hannah would be like, this is my jam. I just want a cheeseburger. And then Marnie would be like, I think this is a lot of money for what the food is. And be really pissy about the vibe. And she wishes there was a Starbucks near her house. I mean, it's so, I mean, it's the characters are it's sometimes hard to watch because the characters I we know them right mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like we like I know these people and I don't know if that's New York I actually wonder I wonder how much it's connected outside of like the coasts because it does it it feels so New York to me it's very coastal and I think just yeah. the behavior of of these women is coastal I mean I think the behavior 
that they exhibit is also honestly quite weird for me for the most part. Like though they are, you know, kind of like they're good at capturing a type of person. Hmm. Like, I don't know about you. Like, do you, have you ever slept in the same bed as your friend? A hundred percent. What? Have you had like, had be like handed your friend toilet paper while she was on the toilet? That doesn't seem that weird to me at all. Have you hung out in the shower with your friend? No, like, I've never done that. Are you going to leave your towel on? <laughs> yeah. I never see you naked and you always see me naked when it should actually be the other way around. You are beautiful. Shut up. I don't need that. I just see your boobs. Well, you don't get to. Sorry. I only show my boobs to people I'm having sex with. You literally slept in my bed to avoid it. So I, there's a lot of closeness in here that I feel like I personally have Wait, not experienced. Wait, I sleep in the same bed with weird. my friend. Yeah, that's like normal. Uh, never, never. I mean, like, like you wouldn't like wake up in the morning and just like, like they basically Hannah wakes up with Marnie well, draped I, over okay. her. I will say like, I've never like, I've never like, like snuggled with my friend, but like, yeah, I feel like that was, that's like a normal thing. Like, what if you're like going somewhere and you're like, you guys have to share a bed. That's normal. Then I go like all the way to the edge of the bed as far as possible. And then don't sleep all night just to make sure I don't accidentally roll over into that person. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. No, I, I don't think that that's that weird, but I mean, I understand, I understand what you're saying. The amount of closeness I think is there's so much of this show that I think is, is Lena trying to, um, she lays it on really thick, mm-hmm. you know, like there's nothing, there's like no subtlety to these characters. It's like, they are extremes of, of the, the Bible that they, you know, supposedly are working off of. Um, I, I think that rent line, it's just sticking with me so much that Shoshana and Marnie both love rent <laughs> because like you just, I, just, I mean, it's just so good. And like, I love rent. <laughs> <laughs> so that's why you're a combination Marnie I'm and Shoshana. Always, I'm always trying to Whereas, find a person to sing take me or leave me. I am not a fan of rent because I'm like, just pay your rent. Just pay your well, okay. Rent. I don't necessarily like <laughs> okay, wait. Me saying I love rent doesn't mean that I like stand behind the idea of like not paying your rent and like sticking it to the man. I just enjoy the musical, the story. But you know, it's, it, it, I think it's funny when we talk about Allison Williams and especially since you played that clip at the beginning, when she was discovered, she was discovered by Judd Apatow for this role. And the reason that he brought her on is that she, he saw her in a video and I kind of want to play it. Okay. Um, and this is, cause this is the YouTube video that got her the role. <laughs> So you get it. It's, so it's like, it's her doing like a take on the madman theme, but also doing Bowie at the same time. I really feel like Allison Williams really wanted a music career <laughs> with the amount of things that she did that involved singing. And she has a nice voice, but like, she also is not good enough to even get in the semifinals of American Idol. And I feel like she wants it so bad. Wait, though. Did she audition? No, but she, oh. she would get as far as that. And then that would be it. I think, I think Allison Williams 
is absolutely the lead in a high school musical. Yes. She, she also just lacks a bit of soul. Self-awareness. Oh. Self-awareness <laughs> and soul. Both of those things, both the S's. Um, I but- think Allison Williams is, um, like, I'm sure, look, I've enjoyed her when she's been on like, watch what happens live. And, you know, I'm like, okay, we can connect there, but there is something about her that like genuinely just makes me feel such secondhand embarrassment and not just Marnie, but just Allison Williams. I blame it all on Peter Pan, the live action oh, God. musical. Oh, I totally forgot about Peter Pan. <sighs> Repeat after me. I won't grow up. I won't grow up. I don't want to go to school. I don't want to go to school. Just to learn to be a parrot. Just to learn to be a parrot. And recite a silly rule. And recite a silly rule. Yes, but, that's valid. <laughs> but I think that like her and Marnie, when I see the actors and she, I think is probably the closest to her character, having not knowing her, but I do recommend if you want to just feel the secondhand embarrassment, I, look on Defamer. Um, Allison Williams might be the most boring person in New York. That's the headline of the article. And it's that she did an interview with um, the, like New York Mag on 21 Questions. And just some of the answers were so cr- cringy. And I remember reading it where I was just like, oh my God, she is, she is. Okay, give an example. Give an example. Um, who's your favorite New Yorker living or dead real or fictional? Her answer was, I think, I think they've earned New York citizenship by now. So it's got to be animals and dinosaurs in the museum of natural history. And then, (laughs) then, um, she's asked to recall a crazy subway story and answers with the type of interaction that could only be enjoyed by the type of person who finds everything about New York to be quote, so interesting. How could I possibly pick one? I had a long conversation on the L with a woman strung out on meth about meth. And then Oof. what, what do you drink? Uh, cranberry and seltzer with lime. Oh, 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 <laughs> what's your favorite medication? I usually skip the medicine and go straight for a spoonful of sugar. Oh no. Cause I, okay. I was going to say that I, I'm starting to feel bad for her because I feel like I would also be coined the most boring person in the world. If I did one of these interviews, <laughs> it's just but New York. that said it's the most just, boring person in New York. <laughs> that said that that's pretty, that's pretty rough. Like it's do you think cringy. that she wrote that or did her like PR people write that? That's, I don't know. I mean, look, I think that she is, she's definitely trying to play play that like just the middle ground not offensive or anything like that and to be fair that could be like a strategic move when it comes to like the attention that girls was getting as as you were mentioning earlier in that like a, so many people were writing about the controversies of girls mm-hmm. and she might not have wanted to be as attached to that and wanted to play it a little bit safer and and for I mean for that I actually understand um because she wanted to be able to do Peter Pan one day she needed to be able to do Peter Pan <laughs> as Peter Pan. But if she was sort of like Marnie, I think like Jemima Kirk was also very much like Jessa and she didn't even have to audition for the role. She knew yeah. Lena Dunham from get this when they were, they were both kids that appeared in Vogue in an article about kids who like fashion. That's incredible. I, and also she was in tiny furniture. 
Yes. Yeah. But they were childhood friends from that. So Lena Dunham saw her in the Vogue spread that she was also in and became obsessed with Jemima Kirk and like tracked her down to become friends with her. And that's how they became friends. I tried to find pictures of them from this. Yeah. I want to see those. So I only could find one and I'm honestly not sure whether it's Lena Dunham or whether it's Jemima. Like which one do we think that is? That's definitely Jemima. You think so? A hundred. That that is Jemima. (laughs) Yes. That's Jemima Kirk. I mean, that's, that's her. Lena Dunham is the one right next to her. Like that Kate would be like, if you showed me a picture of me and a dog and you said, I don't know which one is you. (laughs) Like that looks like Jemima Kirk. I mean, it just looks like an awkward teenager to me, which, I mean, she does look cool. I will say that that is a a sweet choker necklace she has on. Interested in fashion. I can't say. <laughs> I understand that, but um, I got the opportunity to interview Jemima, Zasha, and Jenny Connor um, for the final season of the show. And Jemima was like the most incredible person I've ever talked to. She didn't want to talk about the show at all, but not in like a "I'm not going to give you anything," but more she just wanted to talk. Mm. And it was the most like it was exactly what you would think if you ran into Jessa in, in a bar in the character Jessa, where she's just like telling you stories and she asks you about your life. And I mean, after that, I was like, I'm sold on Jemima Kirk. I love her. I, I I mean, she was just like an enigma, which I think is the whole point of Jessa too. You know, you're so drawn to her, but you don't really know why. And um, yeah, that's all I have to say about Jemima, but I, I think that she is very Jessa in, mm-hmm. but not in like a irresponsible, um, not a good friend kind of way, but more, uh, just effervescent. Right. And it floats, th- floats through life a little With bit. With a flowing dress and a nice wide brimmed hat. Uh, before France, I was in Amsterdam. No, I was in Bali and I was shucking pearls there. And then I met a surfer. Oh my God. Did he like really like you? He like really liked you, right? Yeah, he really liked me. Oh, I could, and that's that's another thing that's so good about this pilot is like the 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 juxtaposition between Jessa and and Shoshana is genius. I mean, mm-hmm. you could not put. I mean, she's wearing a Shoshana is wearing a juicy tracksuit when she meets Jessa and is like, like you're so fucking cool. Yeah, the, their <laughs> meeting scene is pretty funny. <laughs> Bonjour, Remy. Seva? Oh my god, you're so hip, I could puke. I can never pull off a hat. How do you pull off that hat? I love you, Jean-Paul. Your skin is, like, hauntingly beautiful. Uh, can I put my bags down? What? Oh my god, of course. You were, like, my favorite cousin. I'm the only one of my girlfriends that has a British cousin. <laughs> It's so good. And, and I mean, I just love, I loved that they put those two together. It was so good. Um, but But I also want to chat about the nudity aspect of things. Cause I feel like that, that like overcame such like so much of the narrative of girls was about the nudity of it. We know that was very intentional from Lena because she knew she didn't see these bodies anywhere else. It was time that we actually saw realistic bodies. And, you know, that said, like she opened herself up to so much conversation about the way she looked and whether we should see this on screen. And it kind of almost reminds me not to always tie everything back to sex in the city, but like, I remember having like male friends in my life that 
are no longer in my life anymore. Thank God. But they would just say, I would never watch sex in the city because Sarah Jessica Parker is so ugly. And I don't know why I have to look at her, have sex like that. Is like, it, it was almost like an anger of like, why do I have to look at this? And the same thing I think was projected onto Lena Dunham in girls where people yeah. were just so like upset by the fact that they were seeing, you know, a body that wasn't a playboy bunny's body on screen. And she just basically every review about the show ever, like anything. And, you know, even in this podcast, hello, we're talking about it right now. We talk about the nudity in a way that we probably wouldn't as much if it was a, you know, uh, like a more traditional model that was getting or actress that was getting naked in front of the, the camera. Yeah. But, you know, she even said, she's like, she referenced this saying like, even great reviews would be like chubby, portly, overweight. Sometimes I'm like, oh, how did I make myself the guinea pig for this? But on the other hand, hating my body has never been a cross to bear in this life for me, which I feel very lucky about. Mm-hmm. So it was important to get that representation out there, but it's just crazy how much it really overcame, like overcame everything in the narrative. Yeah. And it was, you know, you would have the people who would write on Twitter about um, like the, the guy, your guy friends who were quote unquote forced to watch sex in the city yeah. uh, newsflash. <laughs> you didn't have to <laughs> go back to your, you know, video games and <laughs> um, Zelda. yeah. But at the same time, then you had the opposite side of the coin, which was all about how brave Lena Dunham is to yeah. bear her body. And I mean, it, it is just as weighted when you say stuff like that. It's, yeah, it's so and That's dumb. what controlled the entire narrative, though. It was either we shouldn't have to see this or she's so brave to show her body. And there was no middle ground of just like, this is just happening and it's that's yeah. it. But the problem with Lena Dunham, and there's always lots of problems with Lena Dunham, is that she has a tendency really? also what? to not respond to some of these things in the best ways. So yeah. Howard Stern railed against this on the show, on her show, and said, it's a little fat girl who kind of looks like Jonah Hill, and she keeps taking her clothes off, and it kind of feels like rape. She seems like it's like, I don't want to see that. And so she called up Stern in in response and said, I'm not that fat, Howard. I don't mean to take major issue with you on this. I'm not super thin, but I'm thin for like Detroit which probably isn't the response that like, she should have given in, in that conversation. Now, granted, I know Howard Stern is a comedian. She's probably trying to be funny and kind of meet him at his level to a degree. But um, but she just also always manages to put her foot in her mouth about almost everything. Everything. Where, you know, I do think that for the most part, her heart comes from the right place, but she's so flawed in this way that it's impossible not to walk away shaking your head. I mean, yeah, I feel like I'm just like my right now, my mind is running through the last like 10 years of Lena Dunham headlines and controversy. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I that doesn't surprise me that that was her response. It also just shows too that like, as she says in the pilot, she, you know, believes that she is a, a voice of the generation mm-hmm. and that doesn't necessarily mean it's the voice with all the answers. It's a voice um, of a generation too. It's a voice of <laughs> a generation. generation, a voice of yeah. a generation. Um, I think haunted that show uh, throughout. Its well, I was run. actually just going to say that like, that is like the worst thing you could semi close an episode with because it's just you're tr- you're you just showed all your cards of what you're going to try to do and then I think that that was just like it could only go down from there then but I think that I may be the voice of my generation 
or at least a voice of a generation. Well, it's also said with a degree of sarcasm, but if you take that out of context and put it in a headline, it's like Lena Dunham thinks she is the voice of the generation. But I also think she does think that. She, she, I, I do, I do agree. I don't think that she thought Hannah was though. I really was, I really did drink the Kool-Aid when it came to Lena Dunham though. I listened to her podcast. I, um, and I don't know how to unsubscribe from it. So for some reason, <laughs> like I always listen to this, this current podcast, which if you're listening to this podcast, like, and review us, uh, because it helps us a lot, but I, it's only our podcast. And then Lena Dunham's podcast, which hasn't like been updated since like 2015 mm. on my like podcast you follow. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, she's always, she's always, and I read so her book. And I think it's like, it's impossible to talk about the show and not talk about like the giant, you know, obvious diversity problem of like, this is for white women in New York city. And it comes from a complete white perspective. And she tried to claim that that was an accident saying like, what? you know, it was only later the criticism came out that I thought I hear this and I want to respond to it. And this is a hard issue to speak to because I, all I want to do is sound sensitive and say something uh, and not say something that will horrify anyone or make them feel isolated. But I did write something that was super specific to my experience. And I always want to avoid rendering an experience I can't speak to accurately. So her point here is that she couldn't really write any people of color because she didn't understand that experience. Of course, the counter argument to that is, well, why not get more, you know, people well, of color in your yeah. writing room? <laughs> um, and then, of course, there's the bigger question for this, which is HBO and other networks. Why not start greenlighting, you know, series that are actually brought to are brought to you by people of color? And they do like we get insecure and other things that, you know, do end up um, shaking things up a little bit more. But uh but again, it's another very flawed response to something that she should be able to handle a lot better given her background and given her perspective on things. So I feel like she's somebody that I, I've never really gotten into Lena Dunham as much because I feel like she was always disappointing me with the mm. way that she broached into some of these topics. And yeah. the fact that like, I, I don't know what you think about like when they brought on then Donald Glover in season two. Mm as a new boyfriend for two episodes. Part of me is like, is that just another mishandling of something? Or is that trolling everybody who is like, yeah, bring somebody on. And she was like, okay, I'm going to bring on somebody who I'm going to tokenize for two seasons and then forget about it. Right. Yeah. I think that like, for me, it was just this, uh, it was less, I thought I found her funny. I thought her voice was really clever. And so I, you know, I, I listened to her podcast. I read her book and, and at that point, I think I started to understand a little bit more of like the controversies behind all of it too, um, but behind the show, her, all everything. And I was like, okay, well, maybe this is not like my beacon of, of my New York dream uh, <laughs> for sure. But uh, yeah, I think that, I think that she is constantly taking like one step forward and two back. Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, all of that is just a complete, you know, I mean, I think that's, that's what's that. kept her from having girls 2.0. Like she has, what has really... she even done since girls? I feel like she's done a lot of projects where she had her like the, oh, the newsletter and all that kind of stuff. Like well, she tried to become like a media figure, but yeah. Also, I think she's part of generation if I'm not 
mistaken. Yeah, I th- I, th- I think, you know, she's moved into like more of a behind the scenes thing, which might be for the best. Yeah, uh, I mean, you put a microphone in front of her and it's you're not going to get the outcome necessarily that you want. No. And like, what about the fact too that like this show, like it's kind of steeped in nepotism too. And that's something that's been sort of like, and everybody has actually brought the nepotism argument to Lena Dunham. And I actually think she is the, the 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 least of the four and having like a, a connection to to nepotism given that yes her parents are artists and everything and photographers but they're not necessarily famous people but we have you know Allison Williams has Brian Williams as their father you know of course we have David Mamet related to one of the stars and uh, Jemima Kirk's parents are you know wealthy people um, so it's sort of like there are all these complaints about this. And I, I, the question that I have is like, does that matter? Like, does that, does that color your opinion of the show knowing that like, yeah, I mean, people might have gotten to where they did because of their background. This show is like, I mean, the show in itself. And I say, I, I, you know, I, I give all of the compliments at the time to the show because I did enjoy it for, you know, the beginning era, but when you take a step back, this show is is absolutely steeped in nepotism. It's steeped in privilege to like it's it's not just like you know socioeconomic privilege. It's it's race. It's white privilege. It's a hundred percent like these are people who who I and I can't speak for all of them actually, but like these are people who uh, have been given an opportunity to kind of just tell their own stories and like uh, keep blinders on to any other stories that are out there. Right. But I, I think that they also show that in not like th- these characters are horrible. You right. Know? You don't like, walk away wanting to be any of them. You don't want to be any of them. And that's the thing that I will, I will say is unlike sex in the city, uh, all of the characters on girls at certain points, if not throughout the entire show are, are morally reprehensible. I mean, they are cruel to each other. They are selfish. They constantly betray each other. They hurt each other. They are not good friends to each other. And in a, in a way it almost like, I'm shocked that they did it because so much of it feels so rooted in them that I'm kind of like, I feel like you're just exposing yourself. <laughs> yeah. But, you're putting out all the dirty laundry. Yeah. <laughs> but at the same time, I think that that also is like, that's how ignorant they can be uh, at times because they probably thought they're like, I'm just being real. And it's like, yeah, you're being a real asshole. Yeah. Well, I want to cap off the Lena Dunham problematic conversation uh, cause there's other things I know we want to talk about, but I want to cap it off by, with this little, uh, fact that I have, which is that Lena Dunham dressed up as Louis CK for Halloween once. <laughs> when? <laughs> it was actually back at, um, it was actually an interesting story behind that too. The party that she went to, and, and it was right when girls was coming out. She was at this Halloween party dressed as Louis CK and somebody came up to her and said, like, she said it was a prominent, well-known uh, writer. And he said, can I give you some feedback on the pilot? And she was like, oh, yes, please. Because he thought she was he's going to talk about, like, the lighting or something like that. And when he came, he came back with, first of all, Allison Williams is a 10, yet in this pilot, she looks like a five. Also, I don't want to see girls going to the fucking bathroom together. I want to see girls making out. I'm dying to know who that person is. And she's receiving all this feedback with 
a Louis C.K. costume on. With a Louis C.K. costume on. Oof. Because she considered herself sort of like the female answer to Louis. Like as much as we can compare this to Sex in the City, yeah. Louis at the time also was kind of the story of like a um, a flawed man who's sort of traipsing through life, like, you know, one disaster at a time, um, but funny. And like she kind of felt like she could bring that to, you know, a woman's perspective as well. But yeah, I thought that, I mean, in general, there's not much to even talk about in the pilot itself. There were a couple moments that made me laugh. I really do love the opening scene of Hannah being cut off by her parents. Oh, it's actually a fantastic entry scene. It is such a good scene and it sets the entire tone for the whole show. Mm -hmm. Um, You know exactly what you're getting into. And, and I mean, it hits home a little bit when they bring up the cell phone plan. Lifestyle. The bills add up. We're covering your rent, your insurance, your cell phone. You said it was cheaper for you if I was on the family plan. Yeah. <laughs> I famously got a text message from my father one time on our group thread that said we need to talk about our cell phone plan. And when reader, when I tell you, I was terrified to respond uh, because I have also always been under the impression that it was cheaper for them to include me on their cell phone plan. But I mean, it is it is really great. I I thought it was so funny when she is on opium and knocks on her parents' hotel door and says, "Mom and Papa." Mom, Papa. I think that's Hannah. They should just call me Papa. And I mean, it's just like, there's like these little subtle things that really always get me. Charlie, can we talk about Charlie? We'll sleep with Mary Tyler Moore again, huh? Yes, guilty. It's a very odd show to hear through a wall. Coming at you. Here it comes. Wow. I just blew up a kiss on you. Oh, Charlie. Honestly, I think the one change that I had when I first watched it, I remember thinking like, why, why does any, why would anyone dislike Charlie? He's so sweet. And now watching it as it's older, I'm like, oof, he's a little smothering. We all know, we all know an Allison Williams, or I should say Marnie, who's dating a guy like Charlie and she hates him, but she also loves to wear the pants in the relationship. Mm-hmm. I think but you know, like Charlie comes back. So mm-hmm. he left the show over creative differences, reportedly because of creative differences between him and Lena. Um, but then he comes back in season three for a bottle episode with Allison Williams. And it's one of my favorite episodes of the entire season or series, I should say the Charlie episode when I, I mean, that's one that I think is always actually, I will say the bottle episodes of girls are incredible uh the Patrick Wilson one one man's trash Mm -hmm. is another fantastic episode and that's another one that incited a lot of anger in people for the same type of reason like how dare they show us this episode in which she is actually able to sleep with Patrick Wilson like I remember people being angry about it angry I mean that continued throughout the whole show people making those comments down to Riz Ahmed at the end I mean it was it was very much like that was the conversation of like people were punching down by sleeping with with Hannah it was it was horrible um but yeah I I I mean so you've got Charlie we have obviously Adam Adam Driver Driver. you know I was fat in high school really yeah but I didn't go drawing all over myself you're not that fat anymore you can just have him lasered off I forgot how much of an asshole he is in this it's show so and how good he is at being an asshole. But he gets so good too. I mean, I know I said that Shoshana has like one of the best arcs, but like the Adam arc is just like incredible as well. I, 
I mean, Ad, I, he is despicable in the beginning season, like absolutely despicable. You know, he, in a way, continues to play the same character in so many of these movies and shows that he's in, like these, this troubled, like emotionless emo man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and this is kind of like, I think probably where a lot of it began. But one thing that they talk on the pilot that I kind of want to, I want to see what your opinion is. They talk about the power ranking of communication. Maybe I should call him. I mean, didn't you say texting is like the lowest form of communication on the pillar of chat? A totem of chat. No, the lowest, that would be Facebook, followed mm-hmm. by Gchat, mm-hmm. then texting, then email, then phone. Gotcha. Face-to-face is, of course, ideal, but it's not of this time. Okay, but then how am I supposed to get him face-to-face if he refuses to text me? So my question is, is in this year, 2021, is that still the same? Obviously, oh, we don't really have much not. face-to-face these days due to pandemic, but pretending that there is not one, how does that rank out? I mean, I would rather like jump in front of a car than have somebody phone me. Absolutely. The fact that phone is number two on this list is crazy. And And that's, but also let's remember who said all of this. It was Marnie. It was Marnie. Yeah, you're right. Um, Yeah. So consider your, as Alec Baldwin says, consider Consider the source. consider the source. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that, okay, the first one is face-to-face. That's obviously ideal. Mm-hmm. Then it's text. Mm-hmm. Then, then you go into the DM. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's then, on there. That wasn't even a concept back yeah, then. Yeah, it wasn't a concept. Uh, then I think the next one would be, I'm, I'm, I'm between phone call and FaceTime. If you FaceTime someone, you probably know them well enough to FaceTime them, right? If you FaceTime somebody, it's because you have a dog next to you or a child next to you. There's no other reason. Oh, that's interesting. I FaceTime people a lot. Really? Should I not be doing that? Uh, That's kind of weird. For my friends who are listening, can you LMK? (laughs) If I see a FaceTime, I assume it's a mistake or there's a dog or a child. Okay. that's That's totally fair. If I get a FaceTime from somebody that I'm not expecting... But like, I have like three or four people that I, if I see a FaceTime, I'm like, oh, this is on purpose. They're trying to talk to me. I'm more likely to decline a FaceTime because like, I got to put on like, I got to do something, (laughs) something, because we know that that, like that camera isn't, that front camera is not kind. Um, But so let's say then phone call, then FaceTime, then any social media and then Facebook. <laughs> yeah. Facebook is still remains the bottom. It's dead last. And there have suddenly become like there's 79 other, you can clubhouse me before. I think also, like check us out on clubhouse guys. Uh, we, <laughs> we have a, uh, a weekly clubhouse. Um, follow Kate and I there. It's on Tuesdays at 5 PM Eastern time. Uh, I would think I'd even put carrier pigeons before I'd put Facebook. <laughs> I will walk message in a bottle 800 miles to you. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Skywriting. Skywriting before Facebook. Literally anything. And <laughs> wait, I also wonder what they mean by Facebook. Like write on someone's wall. In 2012, we absolutely were writing on people's walls. Yeah. Like airport 
communication well, attention I, yeah that's what I was just, we have a call for you that before facebook yeah like i want to be at walmart and the overcome come on and say your child is lost please come to the service desk and then i'll deliver you a message <laughs> um but yeah facebook dead last never gonna never gonna write on anyone's wall i'm never gonna i'm i'm not tr- i only i mean yeah <laughs> Well, should we do the inevitable and compare this to? Well, do you have any fun facts? Oh, I, I honestly am very low on fun facts. Um, I have the two that I have not said is that Allison Williams says it's easier to film awkward sex scenes than sexy ones. Mm. And uh, Judd Apatow was the one that told Lena Dunham to put more romance into girls. He was the one who's pushing on oh, the that's interesting. Side more than she was. Um, well, yeah, let's, let's get into the OC talk. Uh, how Kate, does this compare to the OC pilot for you? Oof. I think it made more of an impact in a certain way. Um, again, if I'm looking back at the, if there's a quote, I mean, voice of a generation is a quote that is famous from this. I almost kind of think it's an even split here. I don't know that I can, I don't know that I can decide one or the other. Obviously I enjoy OC as a series more than I enjoy girls, but at the same time for the quality of like coming in hot and coming in like really strong, I think they, they both achieve it pretty well. Um, yeah, I actually would agree. It sets the tone and it has some really great moments. Uh, and yeah, I, it, it, it made me, I know we don't ask this anymore, but I did keep watching. So, (laughs) and I will say I didn't realize it, but like the third or fourth episode, the third episode is the episode when the incredible Andrew Reynolds shows up Mm -hmm. as Hannah's ex-boyfriend. Hot off of uh, Book of Mormon. Hot off of Book of Mormon. And we get him uh, and Hannah going to the club when I Don't Care by Icona Pop came out. And if that's not a moment in time for you in 2012, you guys, then I can't help you. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I would say it's even, it's even too. They're so different. Um, I mean, we know, we know that Ryan Atwood would, would kill to be as funny as any of these characters. <laughs> no disrespect well, you gotta do to Ryan, Ryan Atwood. Like that. No disrespect. Um, well, I guess that that is it for this week. Uh, next week, we will be doing the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air pilot. I'm so excited. We will be joined by Kea Wilson, uh, the DIPS social media manager uh, and also co-host of Bravo Wall Black uh, podcast. And she will be discussing it with us. We're so excited to have her back on. We talked about Salt Lake City uh, with her and Aaron a while ago. And I mean, how far we've come from that. How far we've come. Oh my gosh. We've come, but that's another, you know what? We'll discuss that on our clubhouse, 5 PM Eastern time on Tuesdays, check us out. Um, and also we have a little fun, uh, promo code for everybody. Kate, do you want to share that with the listeners? Yeah. So definitely if you're enjoying this, check out the dip. The dip is our site. It is a female founded brand, um, by myself, Allison and my co-founder, uh, Lindsay Mannering. We all came from bustle and we created the site and it's an entertainment site. It's awesome. It's got great content. Uh, we're skewing very heavy on Bravo Riverdale, some of our uh, most, uh, key obsessions, but we're going to be obviously expanding as we go. So we're a subscription site. We depend on subscriptions to survive. So 
So uh, we have a promo code for you though, uh, as listeners to get 50% off using the promo code TV watch subscribe. So if you want to check us out and support us, we would love you greatly. And, you know, you just get ready for even bigger and better things from us because we are so brand new that it's only going to be better from here. And 50%, you guys, like, 50% that's that a big is, discount. that is not, that does not come by often. You know, when I see like 25%, I'm like, wow, that is generous. 30%. I'm like, you shouldn't have 40%. I'm like once in a lifetime, 50%. I that's just for you guys. You can't that's pass that up. We've never, you. we've never done this before. So <laughs> don't sleep on it. TV watch, subscribe, and make sure to just check out the dip in general too. Like Kate said, we have a ton of really cool content, a lot of fun, interactive things coming to the site. And I think that you're going to really enjoy it. And you can keep in touch with us there too. Read what we're writing. And of course you can always find us on Twitter, which we appreciate. We appreciate the love you guys, but last but not least, like, and review this podcast. (laughs) We realize we've done so many of these episodes and we've never once plugged any of the things that we work on day to day. So here we are. (laughs) We've been way too distracted by the fun that we've had watching these shows and talking about them that we forget that this is what, you know, part of this platform is for. This is our jobs. This is how we make a living. So thank you for your help letting us make this a living. And I will just say to coming soon to a podcast platform near you. Oh, yes. Is and this is the first time we're announcing this is a daily pop culture podcast starring Kate Ward and Allison Pivovarsky. <laughs> the two voices you already love to hear in your ears. We are going to be covering the hot topics of the day. We'll be covering them late at night. That way, when you wake up in the morning, you put on our podcast and you listen to all of the hot topics. You're going to listen to us go on some deep dives that even you won't be ready for. Grab your floaties because it is going to get deep. Um, And it's going to be really fun. The podcast is called Pop Chaser. It actually drops today, the same day that this this comes out. So make sure you go and listen to that. It's a quick podcast for your for you to start your mornings. And I think you're really, really going to like it. We're having so much fun doing it. But until next week, until the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, uh, and I will quiz Kate on all of the lyrics. So rest up. I'll prepare. We know, we know how she did on the SVU. 60%. I got to do better than 60%. Miss, I know all the words and then didn't. <laughs> So we'll see where we, we, we'll see where we land, but, um, can't wait for next week. And until then we will leave you with this. What? Maybe I don't care about being polite. Okay. Cause it's a Wednesday night, baby. And I'm alive. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.